welcome back to Brojo Online. Today we're going to be talking about one of the most neglected concepts in human psychology, relaxation. We're going to look at why it is that people feel ashamed to relax and reluctant to do it, and how detrimental this is to your quality of life and your productivity especially. Today we're going to dive into why it's not only enjoyable to relax, it is necessary. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. So those of you familiar with my work will have probably heard me speak of the 3x model of confidence. This is essentially the blueprint that I've discovered over the years that underlies any confident person's behavior. It's called the 3x model because it's made up of three parts. Explore, engage, and release. In simple terms, the explore phase is about planning, thinking, decision making. The engage phase is about doing, taking action, and expressing yourself. And the release phase is about stopping, relaxing, measuring, and recovering. And this phase, the release phase, is by far the most neglected of the three in general. Of the hundreds or thousands of people that I've met and coached, I can say without any real doubt that for most of them it was the release phase that they neglect. And that's the same for me as well. I've always been an overthinker and an action taker most of my life. And so for me, relaxing, stopping, reflecting, chilling out really only included binging on Netflix, watching YouTube, getting drunk, sleeping. I always saw relaxing or taking time out as a kind of uh, distraction, a crash, a get away from everything type activity. And I certainly never gave it any real credit to being helpful. It was more like something I was forced to do when I ran out of energy. And it wasn't until just a few years ago that I really started to understand how my productivity was suffering because I didn't relax enough. And even more so to start to understand through my work with clients the kind of beliefs that we have that make it almost impossible for us to relax without feeling guilty or ashamed. So many of you, especially those of you who are into self-development, you high achievers and so on, many of you will feel a lot of shame about standing still, about doing nothing at all. You'll feel compelled to constantly be active and busy and productive and scoring points and giving value to the world and you'll feel like when you're not doing that that you're somehow failing so i want to plant a seed in your mind right from the beginning of this you're wrong about that in fact you are not seeing yourself achieve your potential because you're not relaxing enough today what i really want to help you realize is the intuitive and scientifically verified fact that relaxation helps you be more productive, not less. Do you feel stressed when things are relaxed or nothing is happening? Do you feel like you'd be judged if you were caught taking a time out? Do you feel like a need for, for ceaseless action and busyness? You can't just sit still and do nothing. And remember, I've really got to emphasize scrolling through Facebook, binging on YouTube, Netflix, porn, getting drunk, these are not relaxing activities. These are essentially 
drug-taking activities. So I'm not including those. What I'm talking about is really doing nothing. Going for a walk for no particular reason, pottering around in the garden, just sitting on a couch and looking at the wall, or lying on the floor and just breathing. Do you ever feel like if you were caught doing these activities that you would need to justify them? That they are somehow not as valuable as being very active or very helpful or engaging in some sort of task or chore that gets a result? Do you feel that relaxing in any way is less important and less valuable than taking action? Because again, I want to plant the seed in your head. You are not just wrong about that. You are so wrong that it's harmful. Many of us are afflicted by a very damaging societal, cultural belief, and that is busy equals productive. We're constantly told, probably from the earliest ages, things like having fun and playing and relaxing, they're what you do if you've got time left over. The majority of your time and energy should be directed towards busyness. Active, chore-like work that provides an outcome or a result for somebody. Think about it. I mean, the average workday is supposed to be eight hours. If you sleep for eight hours, that means half of your day is supposed to be spent working. And when you get home, then you're supposed to spend half of that time doing chores, pottering around the house, being busy. If you take away binging on TV or anything that's just mindless, what you end up with is a day where there's almost no relaxing whatsoever. No healthy release activities. And this is how most people live and they think it's good. Why? Because if the belief is that busy equals productive, then the counter to that, the, the kind of message hidden in that, is that not being busy is unproductive. So the idea is if you're not being busy, you're a bad person. And if you want to see how true this is, just bring up how busy you are with someone and watch them compete with you. Watch them try to prove that they're as busy as you are or even busier. Watch them try to show that they are valuable by how much stuff they do, how much time they spend actively engaged. Watch the people when when you're just hanging out with them. Watch how they can't sit still. Watch how they've got to get up and do the dishes or check their phone. Or watch how people can't allow a silence to occur in a conversation. They have to fill it with conversation. They have to talk all the time. Watch for all these signs that people just can't do nothing. That it agitates them. That it stresses them out. I sympathize with each and every one of them because this is a disease that I am afflicted with and have been trying to cure myself of for a number of years consciously. I'm getting a lot better at it, but it is hard work to not work hard. It's hard work to enjoy relaxing when you're surrounded by people who don't and who will judge you for that enjoyment. People that will somehow criticize you for chilling out. I want you to think just for the first time maybe in your life or just allow yourself the permission to think, what if they're all wrong? What if everyone's doing it wrong? Wouldn't be the first time humans are doing something wrong, right? Wouldn't be the first time that the way everyone lives is a shitty way to live. Humans have a surprising knack 
of doing things in massive groups and yet all be doing the wrong thing. You know, it's, it's kind of our trademark, behaving badly in massive groups and then believing that because everyone's doing it, it must be good, and yet it so clearly isn't. The idea is that relaxing is somehow detached from productivity. That taking time out, having fun, chilling, relaxing, all of that is supposedly, all of that supposedly makes you less productive. Now, if that is not true, and in fact, if the opposite of tr- is true, if being busy all the time is what makes you less productive, what does that change for you? And here's the seed I really want to plant. Are you brave enough to chill and enjoy your life, even if other people are going to judge you and be bitter towards you for doing it? Take a moment to think about all the messaging you've received about relaxing and enjoying life. I I, I get so many memories from childhood. I remember we had these uh, lazy boy armchairs at our house. They were a big deal because we weren't very uh, well off financially when I was a kid. And these chairs were kind of fancy. And and I thought of them as just amazing. I used to sleep in them all the time. And I, I used to just love getting into them, just racking up the leg support and just getting comfortable reading a book. Reading, I used to read Calvin and Hobbes, you know, cartoon books all the time. And I'd be sitting there enjoying myself, and then I'd hear the crunching of wheels coming down the driveway. My dad's arriving home. I could, I distinctly remember hearing the sound of the tires on the gravel of the driveway. And immediately this like flush of anxiety would go through my body. And I'd leap up from the chair, hopefully quick enough that he couldn't see me through the lounge window. He couldn't see that I was lounging in the lounge, you know. And immediately I would try to find some way to look busy doing a chore like the dishes or something like that or sitting at the table doing my homework or I'd just hide so he couldn't see me at all. That's straight away that memory popped into my head as I started doing this podcast of this fear I had of being caught relaxing. You know, my dad and I have a fantastic relationship now, but you know, before the age of 10, he was, he was a really grumpy guy. He had a shit job and he'd worked on himself a lot since then and he's really chilled out, but he used to be really stressed out all the time and he'd come home from a shitty day at work and he'd just be looking for things that were wrong. And, and usually what he was looking for is the chores I hadn't done or the homework I hadn't done or whatever it was. He would kind of, in his own way, just punish me for being unproductive. And so I got stressed about it. I was constantly looking to at least appear productive or providing some sort of valuable service to the family um, to avoid his wrath. And I think back also to other moments in school, you know, how often you get told off for having fun in the classroom. Do you remember that? Remember how it would say you were disruptive on your report card if you liked talking to people? Do you remember that? If you like playing around in class, you're a six-year-old playing and you got in trouble for it. Does that not strike you as weird? A child getting in trouble for being playful? For playfulness being called disruptive? Disruptive to fucking what? 
to learning boring-ass shit. These are kids under the age of 10 I'm talking about. Every other mammal species, pretty much, the young are encouraged to play because that is how they learn. It's only in humans that we try to force the young to do boring, rote exercises instead of play and discover for themselves. Does that not strike you as weird? Do you not think of that and go, hang on, is that really what we should be doing? Should kids start behaving like adults while they're still kids? Why? What, what purpose does that serve? Why is it that every child's favourite memories of school are not in the classroom? They're outside with playing or they're off doing your hobbies and your chosen activities. But most people, except for the naturally gifted academics, of which there are very few, remember school as being ultimately kind of boring and for some, miserable. Now, if that's what we're supposed to be doing, then why is that our emotional reaction to it? Why? Why do people compete to be busy? Why is that something to be proud of? I mean, at the very least, you're saying, I'm not good at managing my time. Why are you proud of that? I'm not good at prioritizing. I try to do everything instead of doing the right thing. Why is that something to brag about? Why do you want to win that competition? Why does everybody? Notice how you feel bitterness towards someone when they're like, yeah, I'm not doing much. I'm relaxed, chilling. You think they're lying or they're bragging or they're trying to like wind you up. Or you think they're lazy, don't you? They must be lazy if they're actually enjoying their life. Real hard workers, they're the backbone of... Of what? Misery? Depression? Why is working hard virtuous? Why are you like, oh, he's a hard worker? Why is that a compliment? Think about it. Just think about it for the first time ever. Think about... Think about other mammal species that you admire. Like, I think of lions, right? Lions are pretty admirable. Do lions work an eight-hour day? Fuck no. They spend a huge majority of their time relaxing in the shade of a tree. You don't see it on all the nature documentaries. You only see the exciting fight scenes and the, the hunts. But a majority of time, a pride of lions is pretty fucking boring to watch because they just lie around doing nothing. They just chill. Well, except for the cubs who play all the time. And even the adults play. They play fight. They chase butterflies. Are they wrong to do that? Should they be like hunting 24 hours a day? And when they're not hunting, should they be clearing up the dirt so it's nice and flat to lie on? I mean, what the fuck? Why are humans the only species that seems ashamed of chilling out. Why do we even call it relaxing? Why don't why don't we call it something that gives respect to its contribution? We talk about not working hard as some sort of vacation from what we should be doing. I mean, what if it is what we should be doing? What if relaxation is valuable? Well, there's actually no real question about that, because it's now getting to the point where it's being scientifically validated 
that play and relaxation and downtime makes you more productive overall in pretty much every way you can measure and you enjoy your quality of life so much more. Why would we shame such a thing? I want to put it to you right now. If you're the average person listening, I'm about to suggest that you massively increase the amount of time you spend in the release phase. Five times more than you think you should. You know, we've been sold the industrialism model of eight hours work, eight hours not working, and eight hours sleep. I don't know who came up with that, but that's horseshit. Especially because it's in those eight hour chunks. I put it to you that if the 3x model is accurate, and so far I've tested it in every way I can, and it hasn't failed me yet, then a real working day should be these cycles, one hour thinking time, planning, one hour actual work, and then one hour release and measurement, cycles of three. So an average working day probably only needs to be six hours, two cycles of the 3x model. Now you might think, Six hours isn't enough. If I'm only working six hours and and only two of those are in the engage phase, that means I'm only doing two hours of work. Well, VoucherCloud, a a company, did a massive study that brought something up. And that is when you get people away from their boss and in private and you ask them exactly how much time they spend in an eight-hour day being actually productive, The average from thousands and thousands of participants is somewhere around 2 hours and 53 minutes. This has been verified by a number of other studies. It shows that basically in an 8-hour workday, you're getting paid for 8 hours, but you're only working less than half than that. And all of you listening might be thinking, no, but I'm working that whole time. Have another look. How often are you engaged in activities that aren't worth what you're getting paid for? Checking emails repeatedly, for example, that's not worth anything. Getting lost in thought in between tasks, that's not worth anything. Chatting with your workmates, that's not worth anything. Going to the toilet, that's not worth anything. Scrolling on Facebook is worthless. Just slowly dragging out a task because you're procrastinating, that's not worth anything. And in fact, even the stuff you do is mostly worthless when you think about what your job is actually supposed to achieve. For example, if you're in sales, the only thing you really need to be doing is selling. Any other activity is pointless. So if you're in sales and you only spend an hour of the day on the phone to new potential clients, that means seven hours out of the day are doing less than valuable activities, and that's even if you are doing stuff. So what if the whole workday changed, where you only work, really, two hours, but they're two focused, efficient, well-thought-out, carefully-done pieces of work from a very relaxed and on-top-of-it confident person? I want you to open your mind for a second. Imagine you can hire one of two people. The first one is the average worker. And he'll work for you for eight hours a day, and he will be as productive as the average worker. He'll potter around, he'll chat with his workmates, he'll sneak away to look at his phone. 
he'll play around with emails and he'll get into email debates with people and he'll chat and he'll just sit around farting about with easy activities while he procrastinates on the important stuff. He'll be your average worker. So you can hire him, he's eight hours a day. When you hire this other guy, he will only work two hours a day for the same price. But those two hours a day, he is focused like a fucking laser beam and bold and courageously and confidently doing the most important tasks that are needed for a return on investment. Who would you hire? Could you live with yourself knowing that this productive worker gets to cruise for the remaining six hours of that day? Would you be okay with that? If he was more productive than the person who sat around all the time for a full eight hours. There's a new study done by Brigham Young University and showed that if you allow teams to play a fun collaborative video game together for 45 minutes, they were 20% more productive than teams that didn't. And they all had the same amount of time to do the jobs. What does that tell you? What about all the other studies that show that people are far more likely to learn something and be productive if it's playful and fun than if it's serious? You don't need to trust me on this. You can go look up these studies yourself. Just type Google Scholar productivity, see what you find. Busyness is a myth. To be truly productive, you must have relaxation time thinking and planning time, play time. And this stuff isn't what you jam into the end of the day if there's a bit of leftover hours. This stuff must be given the same respect and dedication as the active engaging task time. I'll put it to you that the ideal work day would be two revolutions. Well, put it this way, it could be three revolutions. Half an hour thinking, half an hour work, half an hour relaxation repeat that two more times that would be a killer work day i want you to think about your own job and think about the stuff like what tim ferris says in the four hour work week think about the stuff where you're worth a lot of money to the company right there's stuff you do that anybody could do so you're not worth a lot there there's stuff you do that's kind of needed for the job but ultimately it doesn't bring anything into the company, it's not valuable, like checking your emails. And then the stuff you do, where if you do it right, the company improves. Serving the clients, perhaps. Leading a team. Selling the product. Improving the culture. There are certain tasks that have way higher return on investment than others. And then look at your average day, and ask how much time do I spend doing that stuff? And you'll find two hours maximum probably. So why are you there being busy for the other six or ten, however long you work? Why is that time not dedicated to you recovering and recharging your batteries and thinking things through and becoming wiser and more intelligent, educating yourself? And relaxing and becoming a person who will make those two hours even more productive. Why are you kept in a mind-numbing busyness pattern that means that you can't even figure out if you're doing something right or wrong because you're too busy to stop and think? What if everybody's doing it wrong? 
And the main thing, not only more productive, but better quality of life. I mean, why aren't you busy? What's the point? What's the end game of your busyness? That you won't have to be busy anymore? Do you really think that's going to be possible if you feel compelled to be busy? Why is it that when people become millionaires, they keep working hard? How many millions of dollars do you need to stop being busy? How many do you think you'll need? And for those of you who aren't just doing it for the money, those of you who do it for passion or whatever, do you not want anything else going on in your life? Are you waiting till retirement until you play? You're going to be old and decrepit when you retire. You think you're going to have lots of playtime with your broken hip and your bad lungs? Jesus Christ, if you're ever going to play, it's got to be while you're young. And yet everybody's waiting until they're going to be the least physically able to relax and have fun. You know, I remember being depressed when I realized it's the game of golf that depresses me. It's kind of a cultural thing in New Zealand. I don't know how much it applies around the rest of the world, but when people retire in New Zealand, they just start playing golf. Or lawn bowls if they're a bit more knackered. I thought, that's my future? Just golf? Is that it? I don't even like golf. So I'm just going to work my ass off, stress the fuck, not feeling like I'm contributing as much as I could, for decade upon decade, and then when that's over, I play golf once a week, and then sit around waiting to play golf again. Is that my end game, really? That's, that's my big thing that I'm looking forward to? That's going to be my golden age? Fuck that. Why am I not enjoying life now? Why is it wrong to enjoy life? Where the fuck did I get that from? And if it's okay to enjoy life, why am I waiting to do it? People think, oh, you know, I do it on the weekend. No, you fucking don't. You crash on the weekend. You probably binge on Netflix or alcohol or something else. And then you're just knackered the rest of the time. And that's if you're not one of those people who spends their whole weekend being even busier to make the most of it. I mean, how many of you treat those weekend days as such precious time that you can't waste them? And waste them means relaxing. So you work even harder on the weekend than you do at work. It's ridiculous. I, You know, I'm living in the Czech Republic now. Very old school culture here. And I get tired just watching people have their weekends. You know, they even walk fast. I'm like, where you gotta go, motherfucker? It's a Saturday. Why are you doing all the dishes? Leave until this evening. What the fuck is going on? You know, we got... There's those patterns that I see here, and it's not just in Czech, I see it all around the world, but especially in the hard work is good type cultures. They like to compound their difficulties, like there's these friends of ours, and just as they got pregnant, they decided to renovate a house. You know? I'm like, you're going to have your first kid and a renovation at the same time. Are you fucking mental? You're doing that by choice. And it's like they've They've invested in being as busy as possible. And when you look closer, you can see even in the details, they could hire people to do the renovation work. They could afford it, but they insist on doing it themselves, which is going to take even longer because they're not professionals. And it means a lot of transport back and forth between where they live and the renovation house. 
and it's going to be stressing them out. So they're basically kind of trying to guarantee that they won't have any spare time. And they're great people, but fucking awful role models for enjoyable quality of life. Now, there's actually a bit of a conspiracy theory almost. Um, it was originally brought up in the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx and whoever that other guy was. Now, I'm no communist, but I get it. I can see some of the ideas there. And there was a theory, essentially, that we've been told we need to work very long hours and work very hard all the time because it kind of domesticates us. It's a form of very sophisticated slavery. If people are too tired to think, too tired to figure shit out and get philosophical, then they make for very good little worker bees, and it keeps them calm and easy to control. Now, I'm not saying communism's the answer, because I don't think it is. But when you're right, you're right. And I've got to say, if you look at yourself as a busy little worker, you could ask, like, do I have time to think? Do I have time to rebel against society and the rules of culture? Am I trapped in a fucking machine of busyness that's going to use me up and then spit me out at the end when I'm too knackered to do anything but play a round of golf once a week? Is that a good life? The reason I bring this up is because the biggest difficulty you're going to have with relaxing, doing that thing that's necessary for your productivity and your enjoyment of life, is you're going to be surrounded by people who think it's wrong. And you're going to have to have the strength to realize they're wrong. They're the ones that have been sucked into the conspiracy. Conspiracy that doesn't even have anybody benefiting at the top anymore. The people at the top are the busiest. Look at Warren Buffett. Motherfucker's still doing like 14-hour days. He isn't winning either. His whole life is work. Nobody's winning from this busyness thing. But I really, I want you to think, what's the end game? If being busy is such a good idea, why? What do you get out of it? Don't tell me you get total satisfaction with life, because you'd be more satisfied if you're more productive, and busyness means you're less productive, so you can't give me that. You can try and tell me that you enjoy working hard. Good luck fucking convincing me of that, but let's say you do. What's the end game? What kind of life are you trying to build with this behavior? Why are you not allowed to enjoy each and every day? Why do you have to save up to the end and hope that your body isn't too destroyed from all that hard work to actually enjoy your time off? I get it because I was sucked into this conspiracy myself and I've kind of missed out on a lot of my life because of it. You know, it was amazing when I started my own business, the dream was being able to relax and have all this time off. And so I went from working about 45 hours a week to working about 80 or more. And all the while I'd tell myself, look, the reason I'm working six and a half days a week plus nights and weekends is because... You know, I'm saving up, I'm investing in a future where I don't have to work hard. How did I make sense of that? What if I had died like a week later? Would I be like, oh well, guess I miss out on the dream? The funniest thing was, or I guess the tragedy was, is now that I've been coaching for six years, I've learned a simple truth that was actually made apparent to me right at the beginning, 
I only need to do a few hours of actual work per day in order to build this business. There's only a few things I need to do that are really important to building the business. They're also the most uncomfortable things to do. But if I'm relaxed and I'm thinking clearly and I have plenty of breaks and so on, they're not that hard to do. And this is true for almost any productive activity, whether you're an artist or a laborer, a tradesman, or a consultant or a leader or whatever you are, there's only a few things you need to do each day to really keep the thing rolling or to move it forward. And actually you're fine to do nothing else. You can overdo it, in fact. You're better off making sure that you're in good state with lots of time put aside for planning and relaxation and recovery and recharging your batteries. You think about, say, a great painter. What's the important thing for a painter to do? Fucking paint, right? It's the most important thing for a painter to do, to paint. Now, for the painting to be good, what's also required? Well, the painter also needs to be able to reflect on her previous work and to think about other types of work, be inspired for new ideas. Well, she can't do any of that if she's painting. She needs time away from painting to do that stuff. If she just paints six, ten hours a day, it's going to be mostly the same old junk coming out because she's not going to be gaining any wisdom or insight or new ideas or learn new techniques or anything. She's not going to be educating or relaxing or recharging. In fact, what's mostly going to happen and any artist I know will confirm this. You do too much of it, you lose your love for it, you give up. I think of Stephen King. Stephen King is probably the most prolific fiction writer of all time. I've lost track of how many fucking books that dude has written. What I want you to do is go on Google and go find out how many hours a day he spends writing. I'm not even going to tell you what the answer is. This is the guy who produced thousands of short stories, hundreds of hugely popular novels, dozens of hit movies, all in one lifetime. He's still got plenty of time to go. Try and guess how much writing he has to do per day to produce all that quality material, and then go find out how much he actually does. And then tell me that you've got to be busy for hours and hours a day to be productive. If you're actually coming around to the idea that you need to rest and relax and have planning and recovery time set aside and given priority in your day, then I'm now going to go and give you some hints and tips on how to do that. I should throw it out there before we finish off. If any of you are wanting some support in overcoming all those limiting beliefs or standing up for yourself in the face of a brainwashed society, and you want to really learn how to enjoy your life on a day-to-day basis rather than waiting till the end, then get in touch with me, dan at brojo.org, and I'll see how I can help you. Let's now look at how to release. What it looks like, practically speaking, to relax in a productive way. Remember what I said, what most people call relaxation is in fact just mind-numbing, distracted, boredom, binging activities. 
When I say relaxing, I don't mean checking your phone and scrolling through Facebook. I don't mean watching movies. I don't mean gossiping. I don't mean binging on Netflix and porn. I don't mean getting drunk. I don't even mean having a nap, though that can be helpful. The first thing you need to do is you have to change the frame. Okay, there's a mental exercise you need to do first. You have to stop treating release activities as some sort of pastime, unimportant, non-valuable crash type event. And you need to see it for what it really is. A hugely valuable, necessary element to creating a quality life. You gotta see what release is. It gives you energy. It recharges your batteries. It prevents you from making mistakes, which means you're gonna be more accurate and more productive. It reduces your stress, which means it increases your focus, increases your courage. It allows you to reflect, which means you build intelligence and wisdom. You're constantly educating yourself and getting wiser. I was telling a client today that I stop and reflect after every single coaching session so that I learn something from it. I've done thousands of coaching sessions. Imagine how much I've learned about coaching. It's like each day I have two or three courses in coaching. But there are people out there who have no breaks. Like my mum's a clinical psychologist and she'll see four people back to back with no gaps in between. How can she even remember who she saw? There's no time to digest and build her practice with that kind of non-stop, just barrage of people. And most importantly, it creates enjoyment of life. It's not just a time out. It's where you get to have fun. It's where you get to fucking enjoy being alive. If that's not the point, then I don't know why you're here. So stop seeing release as this thing that you just do with this spare time and start seeing it as a necessary source of energy, wisdom, enjoyment, focus, and productivity. Now in terms of how to do it practically, I like to think of it as an analogy with a stovetop. So you know, on your average stovetop, you've got the four elements, you know, where you can do the big pots and the little pots and the frying pan. And essentially, these four elements represent different areas of your life. There's your kind of academic, mental life. There's your physical, body life. There's your social, uh, kind of connection part of your life. And then there's your spiritual um, values, integrity part of your life. So you kind of got your brain, your body, your social connections, your soul, whatever you want to call it. So the stovetop analogy is whenever one of them is getting too hot, you need to turn it off and turn on another one and allow that one to cool down before you go back to it. So rather than seeing relaxing as this thing where you stop doing anything, see it more as doing something else. Because even lying on the floor and breathing would be in the spiritual space. You're meditating, you're getting in touch with reality. You're allowing your mind to both wander and focus. So let's say if I've been really burning myself out academically, if I've been doing like a mentally difficult task, I can switch to do a physical task. I can go work out. I can switch to a social task as long as it's not mentally challenging, like hanging out with friends. Or I can switch to a spiritual task like journaling or meditating 
As long as it's not mentally challenging, I can do any of those, and that would be relaxing my mental brain. It would be allowing that element to cool down. And once it's cool, I can go back to it. The thing is not to burn it while it's hot. You want to actually turn it off before it overheats. It's really easy to demonstrate with physical exercise. You don't keep exercising to the point of injury, because then you can't exercise again for fucking weeks. You stop just before then, and you turn off your body and go do something else, something non-physically demanding. What I'm saying is do this with all your activities. If you work hard physically for a living, then take lots of physical breaks. Take social breaks, take time out to journal or blog. You can even go learn something, do some mental activity, as long as your body's relaxing. You can overdo spiritual. If you sit there meditating for six hours, it's not going to achieve much more than meditating for 20 minutes for most people. And you're not going to get anything done that day. So once you've done your morning meditation, now go get active. Go do something mentally stimulating or do something social or do something physical and so on. What you've got to build up is this practice of understanding which element am I using and how hot is that element getting. You can do this, uh, you can kind of set yourself up by doing this practically until it becomes a habit, which is just before you engage in any sort of new task or activity, just check in what what quadrant does this fall under? Is this a social activity? Is it a mental one? Quite often there'll be combinations. For example, if I'm coaching someone, that is both social and mental, but it's not physical. So after a coaching session, it's important that I go do something physical that I don't need to think, and most importantly, probably something on my own. Even five minutes just washing up the dishes, or lately I've been going out into the garden and just kind of pottering around, it allows the social and mental elements to cool down while I use one of the other ones so that when I go into my next coaching session, I'm all fresh again. Let's say you spent last night at a party, so right before sleep you did four hours of socializing. Whatever you spend your first four hours today doing, just make sure it's not social. Do something alone, something that allows that element to cool down. Because if you socialize non-stop, you'll get burnt out on it. And there'll be no, no time to reflect or understand what's going on. This is how people maintain really poor relationships. Is they're never out of them long enough to go, is this right for me? They never let the element cool down enough to give them any sense of perspective. So you can play with this idea throughout the day. Look at whatever you're doing. Give yourself some sort of limit, maybe a time limit or a certain amount of task that you'll do. And then understand that means the element's now hot. And it's time to let it cool down. So I've got to go do something from one of the other three elements. You can even look at your daily task list and include all the activities you do beyond just work. And see sort of what categories of the four that they fall under. And make sure that there's a balance of those categories and you know how to switch between them. But you never do two in a row. So you don't go from something social to another social thing. So this way you can always relax and yet you're never not doing anything. Even the spiritual task, like meditating, looks physically like you're not doing anything. But spiritually, you're doing a lot. You're getting connected with reality. You're allowing yourself to detach from thought. You're allowing your brain to reorganize its belief system. There's a lot going on, actually. But physically, there isn't, and neither is there socially. 
It's more of a mental slash spiritual combination. It's the same with going to the gym. It looks really active, but if you know your routine inside and out, you got some music in your ears, you're really not doing anything mentally. And that's fine. For some of you, physical exercise will be a combination. If you do yoga, for example, it'll be both spiritual and physical. Right? And maybe if you do it in a class, it's spiritual and physical and social. In which case, whatever your next activity is, it should be just mental. You know, designing something, maybe writing something, learning something, and so on. Allow all the elements to cool down before they overheat. In a sense, you might even appear to be busy, but you're not. You're not pointlessly making noise. You're not pointlessly active. You're actually engaging in various tasks without burning out on any one of them. What I recommend is in between each of these tasks is essentially a kind of stillness, a nothing. People are incredibly uncomfortable with doing nothing, and yet once you get comfortable with doing it, you'll wonder why you never did it before. By nothing, I mean you don't attempt to do anything. You, you're, all the elements are cooling down. One of my favorite activities, for example, is to just lie on the ground. I just lie down with my eyes closed. I don't even try to meditate or anything. I just lie there. I'm not like doing anything, no special breathing exercises. There's no point to me lying down. It's just I want to do nothing for some period of time. Some of you might mean going for a walk. Others it's just sitting there looking at a wall. It might even just be a few seconds of just staying still, doing nothing, silence. If you allow just a few seconds or minutes of this between each of the activity changes, you'll be able to catch yourself before you get stressed out and stop it from happening. Stop the burnout from occurring, which means you'll be far more productive. Now, I've talked mostly about the release phase, but it's also important to acknowledge the explore phase, thinking, planning, preparing. Most people neglect that seconds to release. So I'd suggest, I'll just put it in this podcast as well, that while you're making time out to release, start making time out to plan as well. You think of that mental element of the stovetop. That's a planning element. So you might be like after you're done with your yoga class, which used all the other three elements, you spend the next half hour planning tomorrow, making sure you know what you're supposed to be doing, how you're going to do it, what you need to be prepared for. So treat planning time like the mental stovetop element, and if possible, make room for it in the morning. My morning routine is essentially a series of activities that warms up each of the elements and gets them from like dead cold to like ready to go. I do a mental thing, I do a physical thing, I do a spiritual thing, and I do a social thing. It doesn't really matter what these things are as such, as long as I do all four of them, and I do them all separately, so that when I go into the day, whatever activity is first, that element's already a little bit warmed up, but not overheated. Sometimes it can overheat, like if I get into an in-depth discussion with my wife in the morning before work, I can overdo the kind of social or maybe even the mental element of things if we're trying to like solve a problem together. And then I go into a coaching session, I'm already burnt out, both mentally and socially. It's not a good way to start the day. I need to be careful about what activity follows what to make sure that they're different from each other in case I do burn out. 
Now, one of the most important release activities has got to be journaling. And I don't mean, dear diary, today a boy was mean to me. I mean, how did I behave today? What happened? What was my story about what happened? What was the truth about what happened? What do I learn from this? Not so much how do I improve, because that's more into planning, but just the reflection. What actually happened today? What is the evidence telling me? What do I need to be aware of? What do I need to observe? Who am I? Who was I today? These are the kind of questions that people don't ask or answer because they're too busy. And because of that, they get stuck into becoming something that they're not proud of or that they regret later on. You get those people on their deathbed going, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I'm like, bitch, you had 90 years to figure that out. How are you just coming to that conclusion now? You journal every day and you'll figure it out on Tuesday, not in 90 years. You want to know that you're not spending enough time with your family? Journal every day, it will come up within a week. If you're asking yourself every day, what do I need to do more of? It's only a matter of time before you realize it. Don't wait 90 years to figure that shit out. Final note, remember, relaxing is not binging and distraction. It's a change of activity that relaxes the part that's getting too hot. Once you see it as that, you'll realize how necessary it is for the productivity process. You must give it respect. Your timeouts aren't just a nice treat you get to have if you've been very, very busy and got things done quicker. Timeouts are necessary for recovery, intelligence, productivity. If you don't take them, you're less valuable to yourself and to others. Take some time over the next week to watch everybody else be busy. Ask yourself, how productive are they really compared to their potential? You know, what's the hard worker at work? What are they actually doing all that time? Rushing about. How, how's their quality of life in relation to their busyness? And just see what you find. I just want to finish by sharing a realization and kind of a wake-up call I had very recently. So as I make this podcast, my wife is now into her second trimester pregnancy. And her first trimester was pretty rough for her. She had the morning sickness, or it's really all-day sickness. Just nauseous all the time, uh, especially after meals. So we got into the habit of going for a walk after every main meal. Um, because it helped settle, settle her stomach a little bit. And we are on my parents' farm at the time, so I would walk around the paddocks, perhaps, or even just up the long driveway to the road and back. These little walks that were never longer than half an hour and usually less than 10 minutes. And I just did them to support her. I wouldn't have done these walks for no other reason. So I was doing three or four of these little walks out in nature, socializing, not doing work, not using my brain. Not particularly physically demanding, but there's a spiritual element to it. You know, we'd go see our, our cows and our horses, you know, pick mushrooms sometimes, just talk. The month or two that we did that was possibly the best month in business I've ever had. And this is not the first time something like this has happened. I've seen a pattern and I've had my coaches tell me that they've seen it as well is that their best times occur when they're the most relaxed, most chilled, and working really the least amount. 
and I just don't think that's a coincidence. I used to do 90-hour weeks that were less productive for my business than the 20-hour weeks I was doing when I was supporting my wife with her pregnancy. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's got anything to do with luck. I was calm, relaxed, focused, completely stress-free almost. And it means that I was crushing it in my coaching sessions and I was courageous and energetic enough to do the work that's difficult rather than just taking the easy tasks. It all adds up. It all rationally makes sense when you pull apart everything that happened. Those 90-hour weeks I used to do, most of the time I was spent just gazing at my screen, doing these easy activities that did nothing for my business, being distracted, stressed, and worried about money during my coaching sessions. Far less productive when you add all the variables together. It seems ridiculous to work hard when working smart was so much more effective and so much more enjoyable. I thoroughly enjoyed those couple of months with our little farm walk routines and just chilling and working at this casual pace. And I had the results to show for it as well. I'm not special in any way. There is every human on the planet could do this themselves if they just first understand that being busy is not the same as being productive. In fact, it is the opposite. Thank you so much for listening. See you all next time. Cheers.